Hello, welcome. CIA Files, Raw File News. I'm Chris Topher. This is Brandon. There's Brandon. You know us. You love us. You think we're fantastic, and I thank you for it. We're here to talk about some terrible stuff today, um, but we're going to sound upbeat while we do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. oh, I'm oh. a... We're, we're going to talk a okay. whole bunch about Ukraine again, but we'll touch on we'll touch on some other things: Ethiopia, Yemen, and Pakistan. We got a Pakistan today, yes. Ooh. Oh, yeah, some crazy stuff that that story out of Pakistan. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Okay, um, enough with the formalities. Uh, we're going to dive into some news. Our first thing uh, we're going to get right into Ukraine. We've got a story from New York Times, uh, spurred by Putin, Russians turn on one another over the war. Uh, And this story is, anyway, after a teacher played a video for her class of Russian and Ukrainian children singing about a world without war, you know, like an upbeat video, uh, a few girls, sounds like they came out of uh, Mean Girls, (laughs) came up to her to ask her some questions. And they didn't like it when she told them that Ukraine was its own separate country. One of them yelled at her, not anymore. And uh, a few days later, the teacher got a visit from Russian police who arrested her. And um, they played for her a recording of their conversation that the girls had made secretly. Uh, The teacher was charged for publicly discrediting the Russian, publicly discrediting the Russian military and fined $400 and the school fired her for amoral behavior. Um, this is from a quote from the New York times article. The episodes are not yet a mass phenomenon, but they illustrate the building paranoia, paranoia and polarization in Russian society. Citizens are denouncing one another in an eerie echo of Stalin's terror spurred on by vicious official rhetoric from the state and enabled by far-reaching new laws that criminalize dissent. So, well, you got to think as the party wants you to think. Yeah. That's this Orwellian thought policing. Um That's well, yeah, it's I guess crazy. It's, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's not exactly thought policing because you still have to express the thought, but it'll get there. It'll get there. Any sort of, you know, like any, uh, one it's, of the things was someone had a sticker up that said no war and uh, in their store. And they say, like, oh, no, I no, saw no, that no, the no, computer no, no, store, no. I think. Yeah. No. And he was fined like twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. Which is uh, an exceptional amount of money, uh, especially for right now. Economy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. Oh, very. Yeah, it's very Orwellian. Those, those kids, man, they rat, they will rat you out. Mm-mm. But um, this um, makes and me you think know of that's the, when it gets scariest is when they've got the kids doing it. Yeah, that yeah. to me seems to be like this specific, particularly terrible hallmark. Yeah, is, is when the kids are ratting people out. Yeah, it's a, a cultural people. revolution. Not- China's like Mao's cultural revolution. The kids will make the future by turning in their teachers for, man, if you start telling kids that they can be rewarded for turning in their teachers for stuff, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's... that's- <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, 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 I saw him. And, and he was also doing the critical race theory and stuff too. And um, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he hired Hitler. 
and he's gay. Oh, all of it. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> so that's a bummer. Um, speaking of Russia, Russia's government being less than awesome, uh, Moscow is doubling down on its claims that Ukraine is a fascist far-right regime, still insisting that all of the atrocities that have occurred there were committed by the Ukrainian army on its own people. And now there's an article making the rounds, laying out Russia's intentions behind what it is still downplaying as, quote-unquote, military operations. Um, The article is from uh, Russian state-owned news outlet RIA Novatsky, and it's pretty bleak. Um, from the article, quote, denazification is necessary when a considerable number of population, very likely most of it, has been subjected to the Nazi regime and engaged into its media. That is when the, quote, good people, bad government hypothesis does not apply. Recognizing this fact forms the backbone of the denazification policy and all its measures, while the fact itself constitutes the subject, its subject. So that's laying it out that it's not just the Ukrainian government, it's every Ukrainian in the country is a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer and needs to be denazified. <laughs> And Probably how should they go about bullet. denazifying? I think it has something to do with, uh, I think it, they, uh, cluster bombs are involved in the process and uh, machine gun fire. I think that's all a key part of the denazification process. Yeah, and uh, their definition of Nazi is is very telling. Uh, I mean, I can give a little bit of a, a background to it. I think I mentioned before, like the whole thing with uh, nationalism and I mean, the Soviets hated nationalism, but uh, the Russians aren't really big on it either. And um, because Kazakh nationalism breaks Kazakhstan away, Georgia nationalism breaks Georgia away, and Ukrainian nationalism has uh, takes um, Ukraine away. And so if someone is a nationalist, they don't see them as part of the greater Russian state. And right. so, you know, and... Nazis themselves are associated with nationalism. And so they're like, oh, so if you believe that your certain region has its own culture and a national identity and should seek its own sovereignty or independence beyond that which we think it should, then um, you're a Nazi. Right. So. It's, like, it's like how a person will say, the Nazis were socialists. It's right in their name. Right. You know, anytime somebody brings up universal health care or something. And there's actually, I've, I've heard people who I respect and look up to make that statement. And it's an, an immediate bummer because my respect for them, or at least their intelligence plummets because I'm like, so you call in the Nazis socialists, you know, uh, I'm assuming you think that North Korea is a democratic republic because they have the words democratic <laughs> yeah. republic in their official title. Uh, um, well, Thomas Jefferson and uh, Karl Marx both thought that public education was necessary, that the state should be providing it. That was one of Thomas Jefferson's regrets is that he didn't put a right to public education in the Bill of Rights. 
Now, he wanted it to be paid for at a local level, but he wanted there to be a right to it. Because right. to, to have a society uh, be free and uneducated is to expect what never was and what never will be. So it's like, all right, we got we to gotta have this at least, you know, edu- education going on. So I guess, I guess Thomas Jefferson was a communist because Karl Marx, they both agreed with something. So it's got right. two elements, you know, one, it's like just because you label yourself something doesn't mean that's what you are. But even if the Nazis had some policies that were socialist, that doesn't mean that anything that could be described as socialist is automatically bad. You know, like right. the Nazis also were like, hey, you know what, you probably we probably shouldn't have like kids smoking and smoking is kind of bad for you. We should we should probably encourage people to not smoke. So all hey. these anti-smoking campaigns are Nazi. Tell oh, I see you're you're eating some pancakes there. You know who else loved pancakes? Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is from uh, an article you sent me, Brandon, uh, a Substack article by Timothy Snyder, who's an expert on Nazi history and the Holocaust. And he wrote, uh, quote unquote, Nazi, as the genocide manual explains, which uh, that's what people are calling this article, like a, a manual for genocide. Um a Nazi, as the genocide manual explains, <clears throat> excuse me, is simply a human being who self-identifies as Ukrainian. According to the handbook, the establishment of a Ukrainian state 30 years ago was the Nazification of Ukraine. Indeed, any attempt to build such a state has to be a Nazi act. Ukrainians are Nazis because they fail to accept the necessity that the people support Russia. Ukrainians should suffer for believing that they exist as a separate people. Only this can lead to the quote unquote redemption of guilt. So it's this weird thing where they're taking like this, you know, like the goal of the original Soviet union of, you know, like we're going to build this big block of countries that operate under socialism, uh, and they're like pushing for that, but without all of the benefits that socialism <laughs> right. offers. We, we, you know, all the all the totalitarianism, none of the without the healthcare. Yeah, yeah, without the healthcare. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. I I kind of wonder about how Stalin and Lenin would have felt like. If you had told them, you can have this giant Soviet uh, block that you want, but instead of it being communist, it's going to be far-right authoritarian. Maybe Stalin wouldn't care. Yeah, Stalin might have gone for it. Um, but he was, in, in many ways, a lot of his actions were true believer actions. Um, but, I mean, that was yeah. that of a narcissist. you know, and, right. Yeah, Stalin was a, a communist, but also yeah, a, a narcissist. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, someone described uh, in a as a pro-Russian fighter was given a medal by the Putin-backed leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, Denis Pushilin, while he was wearing Nazi symbols. Uh, it's a Newsweek article said video shared by Storyful shows a soldier named as Lieutenant Roman uh, Voryabiyov from the Somalia Motorized Rifle Battalion receiving the St. George's Cross II award while wearing far-right insignia. 
One is a modified version of a skull and crossbones emblem used by Nazi Germany's 3rd SS Panzer Division oh, Totenkopf, an elite division of the Waffen-SS. The other is the Valknut, or Odin's Knot, which is a symbol of interlocking triangles from Norse mythology commonly used by neo-Nazis. And let me just say, I hate the how neo-Nazis have been co-opting cool shit they don't get to have that i i refuse to allow them you know to accept that they just own norse mythology now it's oh well that that reminds me of um yeah growing up uh, i was telling uh, well i was telling my wife a story about growing up and it kind of shocked her um that i thought nothing of it but i was like oh yeah at the end of church camp when we burn the cross and she's like what 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 burning a cross i was like yeah that's what you do at the end of church camp you burn a cross illuminating yeah and i did get kind of curious about that and like later why and uh, the church of christ comes out of the presbyterians now they will deny it left and right but the or at least the early members were like this plurality Presbyterian. And it was a Scottish thing to burn a cross as like the bat signal. If like something's going wrong and you got to get everybody together, you burn a cross. And, um, so it was utilitarian yeah, in, yeah, that, in that yeah, sense. Yeah, it was like, hey, you know, because you, you couldn't have a strobe light, but yeah, you could put that at the top of the hill. Well, I was watching the show. I won't say the name of the show because I don't, don't have any spoilers, but... Um, it was these um, Scottish people, and they um, needed to get everybody together, and they they burned a cross, but it was very, very, very Celtic looking. So it was more like they were burning a, a stick with a circle on it. And I was like, nice, because you know it's <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna take it back. We're gonna take burning the cross back. And it's like, no, you're not. You're not taking burning the cross back. The clans, <laughs> the clans got it. You're not taking yeah. it back, but they managed to. They managed to kind of do something where it's like, okay, they they got away with that, all right. But you're, you're not getting those pagan symbols back, not the Nordic ones. You're not getting them back. <laughs> the Nazis have them. That's why I love the uh, that you know the Marvel movie Thor Ragnarok was because a lot of uh, you know white supremacists and neo Nazis here in the states have gotten really into thor and they love the thor movies and thor ragnarok was all about coming to terms with your uh, problematic or destructive oppressive past and burning it all down and walking away from it um that requires a lot of self-reflection and most people aren't emotionally strong enough to do that yeah um so yeah, anyway, they're all, <laughs> you know, Russia is, uh, Ukrainians are Nazis. Meanwhile, they're giving medals to literal Nazis. Uh, well, and, and their I actions guess, imitated, even if they don't follow the, the, the same philosophies of like the old, you know, NSDAP. I mean, they're not putting Jews in concentration camps yet, but that doesn't seem to be part of their ideology, but they are acting as, as fascist expansionists who believe that their particular way of doing government and their particular national identity is the best and should be spread. Yeah. And people should either conform or die. And some are going to be unable to, perhaps some cannot conform. Yeah. And womp womp. 
I, you know, and it, I think we're uh, people globally are learning this lesson that there's this uh, philosopher Jacques Derrida who I like, and his whole thing was deconstructing language and just kind of proving the point that language is fluid and doesn't have any inherent meaning. It only has mean it's only given meaning by its context and by its intention by the people who use the language and so a word like nazi anyone can make it mean whatever they want to or at least they can try to and that's what we're seeing with russia yeah Um, well they they've i mean to it is kind of kind of sad because we, we have seen in, in the U.S. somebody does something I don't like or someone leads to the right. And it's like, ah, oh, you're a Nazi. You're a Nazi. And uh, it has been bandied about. Yeah, that backfired that, on us. Well, <laughs> 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 yeah, now, now it's been weaponized. Like, ha they're Nazis, you say. Ha-ha. Anyone yeah. I don't like is a Nazi. Good. Now I can call those, you a Nazi. And Yeah, those YouTube comments from the early 2000s where you called everyone a Nazi who disagreed with you. Uh, and now we have real Nazis and nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, that cried wolf thing. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, so, speaking of genocide. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Speaking of genocide, Moscow fast tracking Russian adoption of orphans from Donbass. Um, Ekaterina Semenova, Commissioner for Human Rights in the Moscow region, which is a Russian human rights group. And I, my inclination is to think that human rights group should be in quotations in this instance. She announced recently that the Russian government would be simplifying the process uh, by which Russian people could adopt orphans being brought into the country from the Donbass region, which, uh, you know, that announcement says from the Donbass region, but I imagine it would be an umbrella for any orphans being brought from Ukraine at all, assuming they get to make it to Russia and aren't blown apart by landmines um, before they get there. Yeah, this is a, I mean, there's a, a long history of that, separating children from their parents as a way of um, separating them from their culture. So if these kids are raised as as um, Russian, then all right, then they'll be, be Russian and right. use that and, Ukrainian identity. And be indoctrinated into the uh, ideology that Ukraine is a myth, that it doesn't exist, that their home country never existed. I'm assuming. Like, I'm from Narnia? What? Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's and it's very cynical because, you know, the, like you're saying, like, oh, we're a human rights group and this is caring. And I mean, it's just right out of the textbook. I mean, they did this with the Polish orphans in World War II and, um, you know, trying to kind of wipe them away. I mean, it's a variety of methods, you know, separate the children from their parents, adopt the children out. And in many cases, uh, I imagine they're not orphans in the complete sense it's that they're separated from their parents you know or right one parent might be just out or who knows i mean it's a, it's a war a lot of horrible things are happening and people are getting separated and the cynical nature of it i mean especially if you're going to say oh we're going to adopt them out i mean there's I, they shouldn't be taking ukrainian refugees to russia in the first place and if they are doing right. that uh, they're, they're, they shouldn't be adopting them out, fostering at the most. Um, 
Right. That and that goes back to earlier reports that we were getting that, um, you know, Russia announced that it would take in Ukrainian refugees and it was, you know, putting down landmines on routes out of Ukraine that didn't lead to Russia to try to kind of funnel people into Russia. So, yeah. and, I mean, it, and it, their it, media, and the, yeah, and their media and the Chinese media, what they're showing is, uh, you know, all the Ukrainians in Russia getting fed and getting food and, you know, all the potatoes and stuff being sent. And I mean, it looks like, oh, well, you know, they're doing a great job, but it's missing that information that the way the opposite the context, right? that the people are basically prisoners. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's the same as, you know, if I were to come over to your house and burn your house down and then show videos of me feeding your kids dinner and going look how good look how nice i am to your kids why are you complaining <laughs> about your house yeah. yeah i invited them over and i gave them spaghetti yeah and you mentioned china uh that's the story that i'm seeing uh coming a- around a lot is um that you know china is helping russia get around information embargoes by pushing prop their propaganda for them. Yeah. I mean, they're towing a line there and the, the Chinese propaganda machine is incredibly powerful within the great firewall. And, um, it's, I mean, you know how like the Q people can just deny complete reality, but they don't have as much of an excuse uh, as the Chinese because the Chinese really do face a, a large information embargo. You know, like a lot of, news like Bloomberg and Forbes and, uh, you know, I might be wrong about those two, but anyway, a lot of the news um, agencies are just blocked there. And so, yeah. And also if you don't speak English or or German, then that's going to make it, you know, or French or Spanish or, you know, Italian and any other like more open news sources or languages where you can get a more open news source then that makes it hard too. So, right. I mean, they're, they're, they're being fed constantly, uh, you know, something there's a bombs or explosions. Oh, the Ukrainians are bombing themselves or Russia's trying to get rid of Nazis and and they believe it. And in, in many ways, they probably don't have any reason not to believe it because, well, that's what their people on television are telling them. And they right. don't and if have another option. Right. If you don't have, dissenting voices if they're not allowed at, and you can't you don't have access to any other information other than what the government's going to tell you then yeah why would you not yeah. believe them i was surprised talking to people uh, from china and that they didn't know anything about the tiananmen square massacre or they were like or they were like uh oh yeah i heard a little bit about that they you know there were some like some terrorists and the you know the government had to subdue them. It was like I don't think they were terrorists. I'm pretty sure they were unarmed students, yeah. and I'm pretty sure subdued means that they were run over by tanks until they were turned into uh, pie filling and then washed will, down. The- yeah, I met a, a Chinese person that said, "Oh well, it was justified because they were blocking the road. If they weren't blocking the road, then you know they wouldn't have been run over." That sounds kind of familiar. I think I've heard people make justifications like that before. 
Yeah, like yeah. the governor of Florida right now. <laughs> yeah, so it's like oh, where, where it's now, where he was, he proposed a law to make it legal to run over protesters. Oh. So that let yeah. me go eat steak law. Why can't I eat steak? <laughs> They're in my. I way. need a haircut law. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, like China's right. the media. It's either you got the state-controlled media. Uh, within, especially within the Chinese language, and then the wild, wild west of just internet rumor and gossip, and I mean, there is a lot that just kind of goes around. Um, so it's kind of like a Facebook feed and um, state-sponsored propaganda. Uh, so that that, that makes sounds, it <laughs> that sounds worse somehow. <laughs> yeah. In journalism school, one of our professors. He had a lot of ties back to China, and he had spent a lot of time in China, and he actually ended up retiring and moving to China because he was he had a Chinese wife. But he he described to us like the Chinese version of a press conference where he said Chinese journalists would come into the room and sit down quietly. An official from the government would come out and make a statement. And then he would leave and they would just go and run the statement, which was crazy to us because, you know, if you've ever seen like a White House press conference, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not how we do things here for better or worse. I mean, it is for better. Uh, it's just, but yeah, I, I was flabbergasted. So speaking of more news, um, Pravda is reporting that the mayor of the Ukrainian city of Makariv, I think I'm saying that right, has declared that 132 Ukrainian civil c- civilians, I tried to say civilizations, uh, 132 Ukrainian civilians were found shot dead by Russian forces. And, you know, this continues the trend we've been seeing of Russia's apparent shoot first, make up answers to questions later approach. Uh, from right. all the stories of there was audio they've even caught audio of it now uh, i mean boy the, the the nuremberg trial things after this are going to be yeah it's going to take forever because of sorting through all the all the data and you've got these open source intelligence people going out and collecting it which i think is a pretty good hobby right now like they're getting yeah the, um, a lot of people are getting and, into it and yeah. Well, yeah. They're like, oh, this was the unit that was there. Oh, well, let's find the people that were in that unit, and then we can pin it. Like they found some guy that had like shipped back a whole bunch of clothes, and um, so they were able to track him down based on what unit he was in and his what well, wasn't eBay, but whatever accounts or Yandex or whatever he was doing to sell it on Wild Berries. I'm not yeah. sure, but and so there, there's a pretty good chance the voice recordings people get caught that way and they're digging up the bodies to test them i mean we gotta hope that there'll be some kind of justice um right it's like could you imagine then the original nuremberg trials with the nazis if there had been social media and smartphones around yeah Uh, yeah well i mean having said that unfortunately we've have a number of incidents in the u.s where criminal activity has taken place on phones (laughs) and said for some reason we just can't seem to prosecute people even with evidence yeah Yeah. um i don't i'm hearing (laughs) you know we've 
anyway, I don't want to get into that. That's yeah, <laughs> I will yeah, get yeah. frustrated and I'll start mumbling uh, and stuttering. Were there uh, what other crimes do we have to report? Uh, Ukraine is saying that a Russian cluster bomb destroyed a train station. Reuters is reporting claims from President Zelensky that a Russian cluster bomb destroyed a train station in East Ukraine, killing almost 40 people and wounding another almost 90 more. Reuters says it hasn't been able to confirm the reports that it was a cluster bomb. But White House officials are saying the evidence keeps mounting that Russian forces are committing more crimes. So it's not that difficult to believe. You know. Right. Well, even if it were not, it was, there were a bunch of civilians there. Right. Even if it, it wasn't was, a cluster yeah. bomb. And it, it's like, it just, I understand a railway station can be a military target, but there were a bunch of civilians gathered there at that time. They were trying to leave. And so it appears as if it were an intimidation. They're trying to keep the civilians in so they can um, defeat morale. The more civilians that the Ukrainian military has to feed, the worse their situation is. So you know, the Russians don't necessarily want them to leave. Right. And the more Ukrainians that are dead, the fewer that they have to deal with whenever they accomplish their goals you know assuming you know assuming that they still intend to accomplish their goal of completely consuming ukraine if they get that goal it would be a lot easier for them to maintain it if there were far fewer ukrainians there a a former uh polish uh i can't remember if he was an mp or a prime minister but he said back in 2008 uh putin discussed splitting ukraine Need like partitioning Ukraine, giving Poland the western part because it used to be part of Poland, and um, <laughs> uh, he's like, uh, no, I mean, uh, our country was partitioned by people on both sides of us, and that was not very nice, and didn't work out for for at least the party on the western side of that partition. So no, right? No, no. It um, kind of sounds like if. Some big guy, you're sitting there eating your lunch, and some big guy sits down next to you and says, hey, what if you and I take that guy's lunch, and I'll give you part of his sandwich? And you're like, it kind of sounds like you're just assuming that you can take whoever's lunch you want, and if I agree to this, then that's just going to reinforce your notion that you can take whoever's lunch, which means tomorrow... You'll probably take my lunch. <laughs> yep. Uh, don't overthink it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. I haven't had breakfast yet, so I'm, <laughs> I'm that's a fair enough analogy. So, uh, uh, on some uh, possibly uplifting news, uh, NATO states are sending more weapons to Ukraine, and. I, it's interesting because I, I I could be wrong because I'm 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 kind of behind on these articles, but a lot of these weapons they're getting are former Soviet weapons, are they not? Yes, a lot of them. And but then the, there's also new anti-aircraft. Uh, weapons yeah, the sky saber and the the javelin and yeah, and uh, those like uh, what was it switch switchblade drones. And well, yeah, I mean, a lot of they've been cleaning out their old Soviet arsenals and because, I mean, well, when the Ukrainians, they, they already know how to drive those and they're already familiar with it. But 
there, there is talk of saying, hey, well, if these guys are probably now going to eventually join NATO, even though they said they would be open to not, that kind of peace ship has sailed. So um, they probably ought to start getting on our weapons and it'll end up being easier for us to supply them. And uh, I think it was a Portuguese prime minister said defense, the definition of defensive weapon no longer applies because the war has begun an offensive war against them has begun. So it's like Japan, the Japanese constitution, they cannot have offensive weapons. And I was like, well, what's the definition of an offensive weapon? And I mean, uh, a nuclear bomb would be an offensive weapon, but I think it has to do with range. Uh, but, you know, pretty much the heavier it is, the, the more damage it can do then. Okay. Well, that's offensive. And now they're like, uh, you know what? A big old tank, uh, uh, a missile that can shoot a uh, hundred thousand kilometers. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not offensive after all. So, Yeah. And you mentioned switchblade missiles, which reminded me. Or drones. Of, but yeah. Yeah. That I recently, um, someone on Reddit shared the link to Aerovironment, which is the company that makes the switchblade 300. And it was like a, it, it, it reads like an ad for a new car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Arms, the arms industry is, is like that. If yeah. you look, I mean, it's pretty high tech and this is, <laughs> yeah, this is from, <laughs> from avink.com where they're um, describing it. It says, Supporting conventional or special operations forces in the field or from fixed defensive positions, the combat-proven Switchblade 300 with patented wave-off feature is the ideal loitering missile for use against beyond-line-of-sight targets, backpackable and rapidly deployable from air, sea, or ground platforms. Switchblade 300 delivers increased warfighter lethality with real-time GPS coordinates and video for precise targeting with low collateral effects. Oh, low collateral that's, effects. That's, that's, yeah. that's a plus. For, that's for like the... heated seats, except yeah. for not killing people. Yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting. I was looking at it. It's like a backpack drone system. You, you set it up. You know, kind of like you might with a small mortar and you launch it and it goes into the air and it can stay in the air for up to 15 minutes while you decide who you want to blow up with it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I was like, wow. And they, but what's weird to me about the, them selling it is, you know, who are the, who is this for like this ad because i can't buy a switchblade <laughs> missile uh you know the average consumer can't yeah well other nato other people in nato and um yeah i mean that's, that's is weird yeah that's other, i mean well actually technically i mean anybody um that is not on the the state department's no no list so yeah. I mean, it, it's kind it of reminds me of that mo in that movie Jackie Brown, where you know uh, Samuel L. Jackson played a, a gun a gun dealer, and he had that sale video of women in bikinis firing machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that. Anyway, <laughs> that's a a little brief aside. 
but yeah so this has the headline is uh is positive i guess and so far as weapons can be positive yeah. well i mean I, i'm going to go ahead and say positive i know like at the end of the day you're supposed to be neutral or say both well, sides but and and there, there's no two sides to this war at this point there's as far as like who's kind of in the right there's only one side there uh as far as the other side it's just stating the facts about what they believe and how they're justifying themselves right you know and it's like oh what are the two sides of the holocaust like there are no two sides of the holocaust <laughs> right well there's there's the right side and the wrong side right. those are the sides it's right. not a it's there are no subtleties to the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, yeah, the, the world in general nations uh, seem to be pushing back. Um, Japan just uh, imposed some new sanctions and kicked out eight Russian officials from its country. Uh, this is from The Hill. Japan announced Friday it is expelling eight Russian diplomats and trade officials and will phase out imports of Russian coal and oil because of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said Japan will also ban imports of Russian lumber, vodka, and other goods and will prohibit new Japanese investment in Russia. Uh, and they are also going to step up financial sanctions against banks, freeze assets of Russian individuals. If they're if they're going to stop importing that vodka, they should use that vodka from Phillips County, Arkansas, where we're from. Yeah. They're making vodka what? there out of sweet potatoes locally. That's kind of neat. Wait, it's made out of sweet potatoes. It's- I think I think that's what I, what I read in their article. Yeah, it's that's uh, interesting. yeah local local company started, and they're like, oh, we got all these sweet potatoes they're growing. Let's make some vodka and sell it. They call it like Delta Dirt, the Delta Dirt Distillery. The Delta Dirt Distillery. If you guys in Helena, Arkansas are listening. Hey, we're, that's a, there's a plug for you. And <laughs> everybody else, buy Arkansas vodka, not uh, Russian vodka. Yeah. You don't want to support the Z. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see what else. Oh, we have. I know something else about Japan, though. Uh, for, um, uh, uh, they took the Azov battalion off of the terrorist list, and that made Russia angry. Well, that's a I don't know how to feel about that. Well, I mean, they they br- took the Azov battalion and brought them into the the military to denazify them. And they weren't an entirely Nazi organization. It was something like they had a Nazi problem within them or like there it was like a culture of like 10 to 15% or something. Which, you know, it's like, well, if your unit has 10 to 15% Klansmen, how happy are you with that? But but then the the government's like, uh, we don't. Looking this at isn't, you, U.S. police. <laughs> what was that? This this isn't you know this isn't a good thing. Let's go ahead and bring these guys into our, our national defense forces and and weed out some of this because then we can have control over the discipline and and such. So it makes sense that if they accomplish that, then yes, you would take them off that terror watch list. Um. If that's not been accomplished, then Japan probably probably shouldn't have done that. Because um, you, then you're in this moral dilemma of one group of fascists versus another group of fascists. Who do I defend? Who do I who do I give help? Oh, how right. about how about give our money and support to a different group? <laughs> that 
that that's that's a false dichotomy we have another story here about uh eu's foreign policy chief joseph borrell this is a story from the guardian one billion euros for ukraine 35 billion euros for russian energy top eu diplomat calls out funding gap so yeah they're basically we're giving a billion dollar or billion dollars a billion euros to your ukraine uh, and we're given way more than that to Russia for <laughs> 35 oil, million. So. Well, so. Yeah, it, it's, I don't think it's as bad as it sounds, only in that that 35 billion, uh, I'm sure that's not profit. You know, like when they, that's how right. much they, they bought. Like, that's you know, how much they spent on Russian oil and gas. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I don't know the Russian profit margin. Is it ten percent? Is it thirty percent? Or you know, like the tax money and the money in circulation. Like, I, I don't know. I would assume at least three billion of that is profit. So then, that's saying, well, for every one billion we gave Ukraine, we gave three billion to the Russian state and taxes, and it's right. still not good. It's just not as horrendous but i'm glad they're calling themselves out you know it's like don't go dancing around and thinking how great you are for giving a billion come on let's look at the reality and a lot of european countries are having to confront their own dependence on russian oil right now germany is in a pickle yeah, well, so, it, was, it was one of the true things Donald Trump said. Yeah, you know, he was like, "Germany's Germany's in trouble about they they get all their gas from them. They 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 can't do anything." It was like, "Well, you kind of got a point there, but that's not the be all end all." Right. You know, in times of great crisis, you could people can figure things out. It just depends on how much they want to. Right. And uh, Slovakia, they they did something. Yeah, it was part of that um, uh, giving weapons to. Yeah, Slovakia. They, well, they gave the yeah. weapon, the, um, the air defense system uh, was the S-300, which I think is an old um, Soviet era system. But nonetheless, it's what they had. And they gave it on over to, to Ukraine and the U.S. We're going to put some patriots there to defend Slovakia. Right. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, that there was instances where some of these countries gave their weapons to so this is like kind of a way that the united states has found to assist ukraine militarily indirectly i guess or they're like okay if you you know to Slovakia and other countries you give them your weapons and we'll give you new weapons to replace those yeah. weapons well, it works out for the American company selling those sleek new weapons that lower collateral damage. It makes logistics easier within our allies. So, yeah. And I mean, well, it's like Russia's got those 16,000 tanks, multiple. I don't really know how many they have, but I think something I read. So they have like 16,000. Of course, most of those are probably like literally from World War II. Um, but, you know, they're sitting there. It costs money to make them. And... You know, they're kind of rolling them all toward Ukraine right now. Um, yeah, I think that's the Russian attitude on it is just clear out the warehouses. And they say, well, this war is very expensive. And it's like, ah, we're just paying for the gas because these things would be sitting in warehouses anyway. So is um, this war for Russia kind of like when you decide to 
make dinners based on what you have left in the pantry? I, I think so. I mean, I, I think that's what they're doing and they're kind of doing it with their surplus population too, it seems, or how they view them. And they're paying a lot of the, a lot of them are coming from Southern um, caucuses and um, well, they had a bunch of them from the Buryats and, you know, just poorer regions. And when they, they get killed, their families get, get money. Like a, a, I would call it a life insurance, but I think they call it a bonus. And so it kind of keeps them kind of quiet. You know, the old thing, you know, send the poor off to die. And, you know, it's an opportunity for them to maybe get a little money. And if they die, their family ends up with a little bit more money, you know? So, yep, that's, and you don't have to pay social services for people if they're killed. So there you go. Get off. Oh. But yeah, I think that's kind of like a happy ending for the rich people. Yeah, yep, they're cleaning out their fridge. They're cleaning out their old weapons warehouse, and now that's what NATO is doing: is they're cleaning out their old weapons warehouse and sending it to Ukraine. Well, uh, should should we have have bought or maybe should buy some Raytheon stock? (laughs) Perhaps, but it might be too late now. Damn it! Yeah, uh, you, you're gonna war profiteering. Whenever you're put up against the wall, will you will you face the guns or will you face the wall? Yeah, <laughs> you're your war, war war profiteering, you know. Uh, well, and then I guess let's talk a little bit about uh, the propaganda. We went over this a little bit earlier, um, but there's some other issues with the propaganda that are going around. Yeah, it was that Abramov, um, the poisoning where he like had a bad headache and felt very ill in a Ukraine, a couple of Ukrainians too, and old CIA guys like ah, no, 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 not CIA, um, former Russian special forces guy was like, no, 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 that that was all just it was a distraction. Like he might have actually been given something, so in the literal sense, poisoned. But they poisoned him with something that, or these people with something that they knew wouldn't kill them, but would just like make them right, kind of sick. It, and yeah, they. When I heard that they were poisoned, I was like, "Oh no!" Or they like what happened? And then I was like, "Oh, they got sick, and their eyes were irritated and tearing up." And it's like, I don't even understand what would be the point of poisoning people like that. I mean, right. practical jokes. It's just an innocent little practical joke. That's like maybe what I would do if I didn't want to have a dinner party, but I was forced to host it. And I was like, I don't feel like having people over. So, you know. They're saying it's for um, uh, just to create a distraction, to get people talking about other stuff. And it's effective. Right. It's highly effective. I mean, we're talking about it now. So there you go. Good job, God Russian damn it. people. <laughs> <laughs> we were played. Oh. We played ourselves. Oh. <laughs> and then um, – this story about uh, Ukrainian. Uh, yeah, like Marines, like 200, somewhere between 200 and 300 Ukrainian Marines in Mariupol uh, supposedly surrender. And there's a lot of video of it. And a lot of the um, open source intelligence people are saying, it's, it's, they said, okay, yeah, we're pretty sure this is genuine. And a lot of people are saying, even within there, they're like, no, I don't want, you know, it's like, I don't want to believe it. So they just kind of go against it. 
but a professional analyst does doubt it because um, very few, if any of them, have Ukraine patches on, and which I guess they could have taken all of the patches off, but that just seems unlikely. And right. they weren't wearing, a couple of them were wearing the Marines shirt, that white and blue striped one, the Marine infantry shirt, but that was one that more of them should have been wearing it. And so they're just like, it just, it didn't look what prisoners of war who were starved, it didn't look like what Ukrainian Marines starved out would have looked right. like. And this uh, story from Express, they reference a, tw- a tweet from a Navy SEAL at Chuck Farrer. Uh, he had tweeted, Russian sources claim that 267 Ukrainian Marines have surrendered in Maripol, and he has a video. And he comments, but the uniforms are too clean. Nobody is wounded. Nobody, No one needs a shave, and the T-shirts are all wrong. Uh, and he says... Likely every one of these Marines would own one or both of these uniform items and proudly wear it into combat and referencing emblems of the Naval Infantry, uh, Green Beret, black and white striped undershirt. So, yeah, he's at least saying, he said, with the exception of two prisoners in the first row wearing small pieces of tape, not one of the other prisoners was wearing the blue and yellow recognition tape normally worn by Ukrainian combatants. It is highly unlikely that a freshly caught prisoner would be stripped of the exact markings that would distinguish him as an enemy. (laughs) Uh, A lot of their uniforms are very, very much alike. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Is it true? Is it not true? Who knows? You know, that's very hard to tell. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll find out in, a few weeks it'll clarify but this story will probably kind of disappear yes uh, but then speaking of uh, propaganda you pink floyd got back together to record a song to support ukraine i did not know this but um it's uh david gilmore who is the uh guitarist and lead vocalist of pink floyd he has a Ukrainian daughter-in-law and Ukrainian grandchildren. Uh, he wrote, uh, "We want to express our support for Ukraine, and in a way, and in that way, show that most of the world thinks that this is totally wrong for a superpower to invade the independent democratic country, democratic country that Ukraine has become." And so they actually teamed up with um, Andrei uh, Kilvnik. I think I'm saying that right, of the Ukrainian band Boombox singing a pro- protest song. So Andrei Kilvnik was in this band Boombox, and they were on tour when the fighting broke out, and he came back home and you know took up arms and started uh, fighting in the military. And he's right now uh, hospitalized after being hit by shrapnel, apparently. But... You know, the song is sounds like classic Pink Floyd, except with, you know, uh, Ukrainian vocals over the top of it. All right. uh, So that's, you know, I think we're done with Ukraine news today. Yeah. What else is going on? We've got um, ethnic cleansing in Tigray region by Ethiopian state forces. Uh Oh, 
But yeah, well, they got the, yeah, the ceasefire going on, which also allows people to kind of look around and poke around and, and see what's assess. going on. Yeah, and assess. And yeah, it looks like uh, the state forces have been um, doing some ethnic cleansing, you know, some civilian deaths and such. Uh, a lot of it may have, you know, starvation. But with the kind of ceasefire-ish going on, maybe that situation can be reversed. But hopefully that there are investigations there. This one is not as photographed as what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, so I find it much more unlikely that there'll be any justice for the civilians who were killed. This is uh, from Washington Examiner. Uh, the State Department expressed grave concerns Friday about reports of ethnically motivated atrocities from Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International and urged both sides of the conflict to cease hostilities against each other. Um, and the State Department said, the United States reiterates its grave concern over continuing reports of ethnically motivated atrocities committed by Amhara authorities in Western Tigray, Ethiopia. We urge the immediate release of any such remaining detainees and call on relevant authorities to grant international monitors access to all detention facilities. So that's a strongly worded letter to the editor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people forget groups like, well, the United Nations and such, they're not a super state or super state or. It's it's basically an organization to try to talk problems out and coordinate. And it, I mean, we get mad because it doesn't have any teeth, but it was never given yeah. any. It was never designed with any. Right. It um, was it, sort of almost it almost seems to me like like a consortium of like of like a, a committee where they all come together and agree on a on a a collective opinion on yeah things. yeah yeah if you do Time like model make. un that's basically what model un does like um when we get the students together is join a, a joint collective opinion about what should happen and then countries can choose or not choose to go along with the gr agreed upon conclusions <laughs> right <laughs> it's, like, it's like oh all right uh so we'll see. Hopefully the ceasefire holds. Yeah. But time will tell. And then uh, we've got another ceasefire in Yemen that being, it looks like, according to the United Nations, um, there is a two-month truce in Yemen now. So that's positive. Yeah. Um, we talked about that last week where they were like, um, oh yeah, the Saudis. Yeah, we'll do a we'll do a ceasefire for Ramadan, and they're like, but we're starving, so no. But they've right, worked the, it out. They've worked it out so that um, some goods and and things can move. Fuel ships are going to come in. Of course, it's also given the Saudis a chance to refuel. But um, you know, it, and right, it has a, is, a time frame on it, like two months, and so the Houthis will have a chance to try to get some relief supplies in. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have anything positive or, you know, there's not much to add to this story other than it, it could be good. There's the potential for it to, you know, 
just like you mentioned kind of like give saudi arabia a chance to to you know take a breath and well i mean i don't know that saudi arabia itself is overwhelmed i mean they're just supporting the local government they're just throwing just enough weaponry they're they're not hurting uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're throwing weaponry and money at the the government side they support um yeah, I mean, I guess it's allowing those guys to fuel up, but yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, I try not to be cynical. Sometimes it's a little <laughs> difficult. No, no you, you don't even try. That's just something you tell yourself to make you feel better about your cynicism. And it's a very cynical thing to do. You're, what, uh, you're attacking me and I think <laughs> you're doing it because you're a Nazi. Oh man. How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I, you, I, yeah. I'm, I'm always cynical before breakfast. <laughs> I guess it's uh, in your belly. Yeah, and then um, one last thing here that we mentioned earlier about uh, Pakistan. Imran Khan ousted as Pakistan's prime minister. He was kicked out by a, a vote of no confidence. Yeah, this so, is a guy. Yeah, he was like a cricket star, and. He had the backing of the military and got, you know, got elected. Now, also, you got to, it's a parliamentary system, so they're, they're picked by the party. And they have, the, you know, in a parliamentary system, the you know, Congress or parliament, however you want to call it, they can say, oh, we think that our, our leader is no good and has a vote of no confidence. And if they lose the vote, then the prime minister is gone and the party elects a new one. It's kind of like the Speaker of the House. Like if the Democrat, I think Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, because it's a majority party in the lower house, and says, "All right, we want to we want to get rid of um, she she shouldn't be leader," and then the party votes and eliminates her from you know that seat. Um, but in par- a parliamentary system, the prime minister also appoints the cabinet and is the both is the head of government in the United States. It's you know, a presidential system, it doesn't really work that way. We, we don't have a prime minister. We just have a speaker of the house and they right. just organize the legislation. So, but yeah, he tried to um, then disband the parliament and say, oh, so they couldn't vote him out. But the Supreme Court was like, no, you can't do that. And so they had the vote and removed him. So the good sign is it, it, is, a, it is a sign of a functioning democratic state that you had a sort of crisis, like it's normal for prime ministers to be removed in a vote of no confidence. That's how the system works. Um, and that he was actually removed when the, you know, through the parliament vote and the judicial system upheld it, that that's a good sign that, Oh, well, maybe their democracy is um, reforming, but eh, who knows? I mean, they're, as we dig dig in deeper, we might find out about different corruption levels. The, the general thought is he had a falling out with the army, and so they saw to it that he was removed. So it wasn't necessarily that democracy was working the way it's supposed to, as uh, he was put in power by people that wanted him in power, and he stopped doing what they wanted. So they arranged for him to be removed under the illusion of democratic functioning. Well, uh, to try to to, uh, 
end things on a little bit of a high note for our weird files today. It's not that weird. It's more uh, a goofy file. So, you know, the CIA keeps um, declassifying past documents. And one of the documents that was um, declassified, uh, this was back, they declassified these back in 2013. Um, It's a list of Soviet jokes and they are groaners <laughs> that uh, that someone uh, either wrote or collected for a a deputy director of central intelligence. It doesn't say who collected the jokes or who the deputy director uh, was or what you know, like what specific time this was made. But the jokes talk a lot about Mikhail Gorbachev, so it's probably from the eighties. Uh, but well, I just want to read some of these jokes. They're uh, not funny, but they're funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> like they're so bad, they're good sort of thing. Yeah. Here we go. A worker standing in a liquor line says, I have had, an, I've had enough. Save my place. I'm going to shoot Gorbachev. Two hours later, he returns to claim his place in line. His friend asks, did you get him? He says, no, the line there was even longer than the line here. Oh, uh, here's one that I don't get, but it's probably because I don't know enough about uh, history, the history of the time. But what's the difference between Gorbachev and Dubchek? Nothing, but Gorbachev doesn't know it yet. I don't know who Dubchek. Yeah, was. I don't know. Maybe it was somebody that was taken out of power. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you know, let us know, because, you know, we'd like to know. Sentence from a schoolboy's weekly composition class essay. My cat just had seven kittens. They are all communists. Sentence from the same boy's composition the following week. My cat's seven kittens are all capitalists. Teacher reminds the boy that the previous week he had said the kittens were communists. But now they're, they've opened their eyes, he said. <laughs> I've heard something like that joke before. Uh, it's, yeah, maybe because it's really hacky. Yeah, <laughs> That's a hallmark of hacky jokes is, you know, when like when the late, late night TV hosts make <laughs> all make the same joke. And it's not because they're copying each other. It's because they, you know, <laughs> they're hacky jokes. Uh, let's let's see. Oh. And some of these seem to be very specific. Uh, a joke, a joke heard in Arkhanglish. Arkhangelsk, Arkhangelsk. A joke heard in Arkhangelsk has it that someone happened to call the KGB headquarters just after a major fire. We cannot do anything. The KGB has just burned down, he was told. Five minutes later, he called back and was told again that the KGB had burned. When he called a third time, the telephone operator recognized his voice and asked, Why do you keep calling back? I just told you the KGB has burned down. I know the man replied. I just like to hear it. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, here's one. This is uh, I-, I thought this one was I, I-, I got a-, 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 a chortle out of this one. A train bearing Lenin, Stalin, Khrushchev, Brezhnev and Gorbachev stops suddenly when the tracks run out. Each leader applies his own unique solution. 
Lenin gathers workers and peasants from miles around and, and exhorts them to build more track. Stalin shoots the train crew when the, st- the train still doesn't move. Khrushchev rehabilitates the dead crew and orders the tracks behind the train ripped up and relayed in front. Brezhnev pulls down the curtains and rocks back and forth, pretending the train is moving. And Gorbachev calls a rally in front of the locomotive where he leads a chant, no tracks, no tracks, no tracks. Well, (laughs) maybe, maybe that one's not too off. Um, Ivanov, give me a medical example of perstroika. Sidorov, thanks. How about menopause? That was the glasnost uh, openness. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, reforming. I think, I think it means like rebuilding, reforming and, um, but yeah, well, is there, there were, ah, oh, we're going to try to become like the West. Yay. We're going to reform our government and <laughs> not be so communist yeah. anymore or uh, so authoritarian. Yeah. Oh, let's say, uh, uh, how about an American? There's one here. about. Yeah. An, yeah that's actually, that's when I was eyeballing, uh, an American tells a Russian that the United States is so free he could stand in front of the White House and yell, to hell with Ronald Reagan. The Russian replies, that's nothing. I can stand in front of the Kremlin and yell, to hell with Ronald Reagan, too. That's cute. <laughs> uh, a man is driving with his wife and small child. A militia man pulls them over and makes the man take a breathalyzer test. See, the militia man says, you're drunk. The man protests that the breathalyzer must be broken and invites the cop to test his wife. She also registers as drunk. Exasperated, the man invites the cop to test his child. When the child registers as drunk as well, the cop shrugs and says, yes, perhaps it is broken and sends them on their way. Out of earshot, the man tells his wife, see, I told you it wouldn't hurt to give the kid five grams of vodka. Oh, so. well, it's yeah. good to see our tax dollars went to some <laughs> some good work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, what's funny too is this is like you know this is pre computers and word processors. I mean, computers existed, but they weren't utilized. So somebody had to like type this up and then mimeograph <laughs> yeah. it. So that's pretty funny. Um, there are more. We didn't read them all. Uh, you can find the links to that article this i got that uh, list from screeble.com uh, you can find that link and the links to all the other stories that we've mentioned on our website ciafiles.net which uh you know gave a little uh, makeover too it's looking a little nicer uh, put a little lipstick fun- on it yeah you got the uh, socials there, the Facebook. Find us on the old Facebook. That's facebook.com slash CIA Files. Twitter at CIA Files Podcast. Instagram at CIA Files. And we are getting our YouTube channel up and running. We've added a few uh, video versions of our episodes, and we're going to be adding more of those. So, you know, some people like to, uh, you know, they prefer YouTube to podcast uh, apps, you know, so if that's what you prefer, hit us up over there. We could use the, sub- the subscribers anyway, so we can get enough yeah, we're subscribers. Getting, we're getting we more. Could... 
slowly but surely our numbers are going up. So yeah, yeah keep it up. Hit that, hit that follow, share a follow, whatever it is on whatever you're doing. And yeah, however yeah. that stuff works. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. If you can uh, help us out and um, in the meantime, thanks for listening. We'll be uh, back soon with more news and eventually we're going to have our final episode on Jim Angleton part three. And it's a doozy. We are finally with uh, Angleton part three. We're finally getting into uh, the mystery behind the K- Kennedy assassination, the JFK assassination. And we're not, we're not, it won't cover every aspect of that. But when it comes to, you know, the mythological conspiratorial aspect of the JFK assassination, Jim Angleton contributed quite a bit to the mystery behind it and people's distrust of the official record of it. Um, and we'll get into how that happened and what he did. Uh, a shady guy out. with a sweet spot for fascist did that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. And um, have a good week. Over and out.